All right, well, good morning, everyone. And with that auspicious beginning to our time together, welcome to First Christian Church today. My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team, and I'm really glad you're with us today. We're going to take a look at Scripture together today. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, which is quite a ways through the Bible. If you would find it in a Bible that you brought with you, maybe you grab one out of the pew rack, or maybe you've got it on your smartphone or something like that. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, we'd be glad if you'd take that home as our gift to you, all right? While you're looking for First Peter, a uh, couple of things that I want to bring your attention to. First of all, you may have noticed today as you were uh, arriving or perhaps standing in the lobby that there was a lot of interest in the courtyard, the courtyard being um, an enclosed area right over here. That's because each spring we have a whole s- slew, a, um, a flock, a covey, or whatever they're called, a herd of ducks that land in the uh, retention pond, which we have this pond out back that where all the runoff from the church, the parking lot goes. And they always land there and they're there for a few days and they fly off going somewhere else for the summer. This year, though, we've had something quite unique happen and that two of them have hung around and we've seen them in the parking lot and they tend to fly up and land in the courtyard, which I've always wanted to see how they do that because it's, a, it's a, not a very large space and they got a dive bomb to get in there but I'm more interested to know how do they fly out of there because there's no runway. You know, there's no, there's no paddle, paddle, paddle. There's no water back there or anything. But they've been back there days on end. And um, just this week, we learned what they've been doing back there. Look at this photo. <clears throat> so we have three little ducklings in the courtyard. Um, I didn't even know they were dating, let alone married. <laughs> But they're back there making little ducklings, and uh, I, I've got some observations about that that I want to bring to your attention in just a few minutes. But before we get to that, something else that I'd like you to have some thought about, and that is, um, you know, I've been in pastoral ministry for three decades now, and in three decades of pastoral ministry, frankly, conducted quite a number of funerals or been engaged in a lot of settings where people have died. And... Um, over the years, I've developed a routine to that, to, to know how to respond, and each situation, of course, is unique, but there are some things that can be very meaningful for each family, that if you think about this correctly, and so, um, generally, this is how this goes. If I get a call from a family to say, hey, mom is about to pass away, or dad has just died, would you come by the house or come by the hospital, and I, with great gladness, actually, because it's this really powerful moment in families' lives. I'll go by and um, we'll have a prayer. We'll gather around that person. And um, if it's a woman, often I'll take her hand and we'll pray. Or if it's a man, actually, I'll put my hand right on his chest right here. Just kind of, you know, and we'll have a prayer. And at the end of the prayer, I will, um, I, I will um, say something like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And... Um, that, that comes from Numbers chapter 6. Uh, it's a passage of scripture that, well, well, I'd like you to read it with me. Just follow along. This is how it comes about, how, where it comes from. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. And so Aaron is the high priest, and the sons are going to follow in his footsteps. And he says, they're supposed to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And then after you do that, uh, God says that, hey, if you do that, then this is going to be really good. Because with that, I'll put my name on the Israelites and I'll bless them. And it's really a nice moment for me, if you will, 
in these very unusual settings where somebody's died, to actually say that prayer of blessing over that person who's just died or they're about to pass away. And I have this question for you. Do you think that's uh, something that only clergy should do? Something only pastors should do? Or would that passage of scripture and that kind of special moment be available to other people as well? Like, is there a difference between pastors and and non-pastors, if you will? I, I, I would like us to take a little look at that this morning, and to do so, I invite you to take a, a, a reading with me from First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two, beginning at verse nine, we read this: "You are a chosen people." Let me just kind of back up a moment. Peter is um, the guy who's writing. He's writing this a number of decades after Jesus has died, risen again, and gone to heaven. Peter is Jesus' right-hand man, kind of the guy that Jesus leans into at all times to get things, you know, up and running, and, and he's kind of the action guy. And many decades later now, Peter is putting it all together, and he says, there's really a shift in who you are as the followers of Jesus Christ. And he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In the past, you were not a people. Once you were not a people, but now, in light of what Jesus has done, you are the people of God. Before Jesus came, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, in light of that, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as people who are not of this world, where heaven is our final home, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live life differently, in other words. How should you live? Well, live such good lives among the pagans. Now, that's a weird word, isn't it? Pagans. Uh, we'll come back to that in a few minutes. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So, can you say something over somebody in a blessing like that ironic, what's called the ironic blessing out of number six. Let me see if I could help you understand that because there's a view of the Old Testament uh, before Jesus came of how the priests were to operate and how, in, frankly, in our day and time on the other side of Jesus' ministry that we can take on some of those responsibilities. Perhaps you're aware that in most Protestant settings, it's a big generalized statement and there are some exceptions to what I'm about to say, but in most Protestant settings, which is different than in Roman, what our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, how they would approach this, but in most Protestant settings, it's fair to say the only difference between clergy, the only difference between pastors and non-pastors are basically calling and education. Namely, those of us in pastoral ministry uh, would say that we feel the call of God in our lives to the extent that this is how we are dedicating our vocational careers to that endeavor. And so that is one thing. But then secondly, what really differentiates us between the clergy and non-clergy would be the fact we've got some training to know how to do that more effectively. But in terms of the things, most, most, in most situations, the things I can do, you can do. Now that's different than it was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a particular family, uh, all related to Aaron, and we'll come back to him in a few minutes, who they were the priests. They were the, the people who were responsible for taking care of the religious duties of the, the nation of Israel. Uh, you may remember the story. The Jews are, were in, um, under slavery in Egypt. They get released, and they're making their way towards the Promised Land. And along the way, they develop a number of religious institutions, a number of religious practices. Worship of one God was key and all of that. And uh, so they had what they had known as the tabernacle, a traveling 
church, a traveling synagogue. That's really not very helpful, but it's, it's get your arms around it. So that's not fully. But when they finally got to Jerusalem, they built a permanent tabernacle, what they called the temple. And it, it had an interesting layout in that you move from outside the walls of the temple to one court, then into the next court, to the next court. And as you moved your way from, from one space to the next space, then more and more people were excluded as to who could get all the way to eventually the very inner court was called the Holy of Holies. And we have in Scripture this description of the presence of God in a cloud actually coming down and filling that place like we read in Isaiah chapter 6. Just the whole, the glory of God filled that temple. And, um, and uh, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that thing, you remember that and so forth. It was all in there. And, and the priests were responsible to help the people if they could move from one court to the next court based on the forgiveness of their sins. And then once a year, the main priest, the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies and he would ask God for forgiveness of all the people of Israel. Now, that Holy of Holies had a very thick curtain, probably about that thick, four to five inches thick, made of fabric, and, it was the, and that curtain was what separated the Holy of Holies and the presence of God from everybody else. Except at the death of Jesus Christ, the scriptures tell us that at the moment Jesus died, something absolutely phenomenal occurred, that this curtain, which nobody could tear, they said that they could have had teams of horses pulling at it, and it would not have torn interwoven, deeply embroidered and everything. It literally ripped from top to bottom. And what was fascinating and what was taking place there was God was saying at the death of Jesus Christ, atonement for sin was made, forgiveness of sin was available, and God's presence was available to all people. And now all people have access. For example, it's like what we see. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession, you declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. You've, you, you've gone from the outer court into the inner court, from out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you've got full access. You're the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, you had to ask for mercy all the time, but now you've received mercy. And so this is a dramatic shift on the part of moving from Old Testament priests, only one person having access, to suddenly everyone through the death of Jesus Christ, has access to God's presence. And apparently, according to 1 Peter here, in light of that, Christians, those who say we are people who follow Christ, we have a responsibility to live differently, not moralizing, if you will, but it says that we have a responsibility to live differently and to demonstrate true compassion true compassionate living. And that is our responsibility now. It says, urgers, foreigners, and exiles, live good lives among the pagans that they would see you doing really cool things. But I have to acknowledge that there's a problem with that because apparently, according to this passage of Scripture, there's this line between the followers of Jesus Christ and the non-followers of Jesus Christ. And Peter uses, which we would find a word, um, very non-politically correct. He says you're either following Jesus or you're a pagan. Now, I would suggest this is not a good way to approach the office staff tomorrow. <laughs> if you're not following Jesus with me today, then you are a bunch of pagans. That's not going to go over very well. Because in our politically correct culture, we just don't like, we don't call people names like that. But frankly, Peter is saying either you're with Christ or you're not Christ. And our task is to figure out how to live in that space. 
and to, um, if you will, to examine the culture around us and even people around us and to, if you will, I put it this way, to offer a Christian alternative to the way people are living from the perspective of a descriptive approach versus a judgmental approach. Because judgmental approaches in our culture do not work. But to describe, hey, this way that I'm living versus the way so-and-so is living is, is where there's a line between the followers of Jesus Christ versus none. Now, again, you approaching it where you're just a pagan probably is not going to be good for the cause, okay? As a matter of fact, there, there's, some, there's some research that comes into this that I think you might find helpful that would help you uh, grab a hold of the tension that we live in at present. Namely, that if you come to Christ, whether you're 8 years old, 18 years of age, or 58 years of age, it seems to be that most people take about 10 years to figure it out. They come to Christ, perhaps you came to Christ, and your conversion experience is immediate. Immediately upon acknowledging Jesus Christ as the Son of God and your Lord and Savior, your forgiven and your leader, that presence of God is opened up to you immediately. But there's lots of things to learn, and there's this whole book to try and grab a hold of and get your arms around of, and, and how does this work in my life? And research would indicate that takes about 10 years of just some study and living and doing life and questions and praying and all that sort of stuff. And during those 10 years, uh, we particularly, we grow and we become mature. Here's a graph that you would show you how that works that, over that 10-year period of time. But there's an irony in all of this that um, as we are maturing in Christ and we begin to see more and more difference between Christ following versus pagan, we tend to pull away from the pagan culture. Or the, again, that's weird language, right? But we tend to pull away from people who don't reflect the same kind of values that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And we'd say, well, as a new Christian, that, that woman there is just saying things that are not helpful to me. And so invariably we pull back just a little bit. Or as, as a new Christian, where all the guys get together and what they do when they're there, I, when, when I, it's really hard for me to be a follower of Jesus Christ and say I'm not going to do what they do. Um, and and I'm, we come up and we say, you know, I'm kind of like an alcoholic in some ways around non-Christian behavior. I'm good if I'm in the church, but when I get out there amongst the other non-Christians, then it's real hard, and it's like, it'd be like saying to an alcoholic, well, you're no longer drinking, so it's quite okay to, as long as you're not drinking, you go hang out in the neighborhood, you know, liquor store or the pub, and you'll be all right. And we'd say to an alcoholic, don't be crazy, don't put yourself in that place if we would call it temptation, right? For us as Christians, a similar thing happens, is that we say, well, I don't want to be there where, where they use such bad language, and we pull ourselves away. And what's fascinating is that research shows that over a period of about 10 years, as we mature, we also have, here's another graph, where we have significantly less numbers of people that we hang out with who are followers of Jesus Christ. Think about you. Who are the people you hang with? You used to go out and hang out with a bunch of people, but now you go to Bible studies instead. And over a period, the greatest irony is that the point of greatest maturity, 10 years in, if you will, is when we have the least number of relationships with people who need to have our maturity with us and have an influence on them. So we have this tension of, man, how are we going to deal with that? I would suggest that we have to live in the tension. We have to figure out how do we be mature and at the same time maintain and develop relationships with people who don't know Jesus so that we could be what Peter's calling us to be. But I understand that's very hard.
But I would say this, if you came to Christ and you thought that coming to Christ was going to be living on easy street, well, you're wrong. Welcome to the club. Welcome to following Jesus and living in the tension of not of this world. We're we're foreigners and exiles. We have a responsibility to the community and the culture around us. And um, I would say this also, if you came to Christ thinking you were going to be in this church, living on easy street, you're in the wrong church. Absolutely. We're not a church that does things the easy way. A Christian, first Christian, is someone who says, I'll take on the discomfort of the tension. I'll, I, I'm all in for shifts. I'm all in for embracing change. That's what this thing, remember that? We do this all the time. We're going to change things up in an effort to be an evangelistic voice for the cause of Christ in our community. We are a church that embraces change, even when it feels uncomfortable. And, and we... we we're going to do something this morning that you're going to (laughs) hate. You're going to hate what we're about to do, but we're going to do a um, sermon illustration, if you will, all of us together, and some of you are going to go, I hate what we did today, but we're going to do it in an effort to prove that for the cause of Christ, there is nothing in this building There is no portion of our church's ministry, there is no portion of our church's ethos that belongs to anyone in this room. It all belongs to Christ, and as long as we are holding up the true values of Scripture, everything else is open for change, including where you sit on a regular basis on Sundays. (laughs) Because we are not a church that ever has anyone say, you're sitting in my seat. Do we? Some of you, I know where you sit week after week after week. And you have almost feel, feel like you got your name on that pew. Wrong! 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 We are a church that says we will be uncomfortable for the sake of others. Um, there are no squatter's rights, in other words. We choose discomfort for others' comfort and for their future entrance into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we never say, that belongs to me. So, I'm going to help you figure that out today. And we're going to take everybody on this side to here, and everybody on that side to there. And everybody from about this side of the balcony is going to go that way, and everybody's going to reverse. You ready? Grab your stuff. Here we go. Figure it out. Work it out. Here we go. Get up.
easiest to end up over there. You guys, that's where you always sit. And you, we started over there today, is that right? Chad, I've never seen that side of your face before, dude. <laughs> I can't love it. I love it. So you go, man, I didn't know this side. Wayne looks different from this angle. I get it. Now, I, I know that that was, frankly, that was way beyond comfort level for some of you in the room. I know. I mean, some of you are so uncomfortable going, I'm never going back. I get it. Seriously, I know that's going to happen. We will lose, have the potential to say, have some people say, I've had it. I, will, I know I will get emails. I will. I know an elder is going to be talked to somewhere along the line and say, stop Wayne from doing that. But could I suggest something? Even in the midst of the discomfort, I want to be clear that it's my responsibility to make certain that when you get to heaven, that you're able to say, when God says, what did you do? Did you choose comfort or did you choose mission? You can say, I chose comfort. I, I, I didn't choose comfort. <laughs> you don't want to do that. You don't want to make the mistake I just made, right? <laughs> I chose mission. Because I want to tell you this. Here at First Christian Church, what will we choose? We will always choose mission before we choose our own comfort. Always. Always. Yeah, that's worth... Here's why. As weird as all that was, and man, people were so close and crammed. And... But it's a great illustration that there are no squatters' rights here. Because we are going to take this city for Jesus Christ. It's a task. It's a responsibility. It says, live your lives in such good ways that the pagans, those who don't know Jesus, say, man, what what do we do to glorify God? And I know it's a moving target. I know it can be fretful and stressful. But can I remind you, don't do that. Jesus said, if we walk with him, I've got really good news for you. If we walk with him, the Holy Spirit was within us. And with the Holy Spirit moving in us and through us, this really cool thing coming out of John chapter 14, where he says, you know, you're, you're, this is, I've got good news for you. It says this way, John 14, guys. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they'll do even greater things than these. I don't know about you, but I'm up for that. Jesus did some really cool things, but I'm up for doing even more. I'm up for seeing God work in us in this community We love where we live, we love where we are, and I'm up for that. I'm up to see God doing more in us. And if it means I have to change, I'll do that. I'll work on it. I might might complain, right? But I'll do it. And so to to help you um, figure out how to do that this week, I want to give you just one idea. That in order for us to do this passage of 1 Peter 2, and for us to be the priests in our communities, we have to develop Jesus Jesus' eyes, priestly eyes. Remember, Jesus would look through the crowds and he'd see them and they, they, he had to have compassion, he'd have compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When you're sitting on your front porch this week and this, the, you know, the, the, the weather is lovely or sitting in the backyard and everything and you see people walking by, can you look at them and say, hey, how, what are their needs? What, 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 what is it like for them to live the way they live? You know, I, I, I know it's hard. But Jesus pushed back from us just saying, well, we've got to do our own thing because I know what it's like. Man, i got a list this long of things that need to get done tomorrow, let alone Tuesday. And it's easy for me, me to get my head down and push forward on that list. But Jesus said, don't you dare do that. He said, 
I said, don't say there's four more months till the harvest. Don't do that. Instead, get your eyes up. Look around you right now. Don't just bury your head in your, in your work. Get your eyes up because the fields, they're ripe for harvest. We cannot be a congregation say, well, Decatur's not ready for us. We cannot be a congregation say four more months or four more years. No, we are a congregation that says, we are going to reach this community. We have a responsibility to be Jesus' tangible touch in the lives of people around us. And I'm up for that. I know you are as well. See if I can make this practical for you today. Um, we read this passage of scripture. I read it uh, earlier from Numbers chapter 6, where where. Moses says to Aaron, I want you to say this blessing over the people. Aaron's kind of this guy who doesn't really show up a lot in that story. But frankly, uh, there's more to Aaron than we realize. To know the relationship between Aaron and Moses. Moses is the guy who leads all the Jews out of slavery. They've been slaves for 400 years and he gets them out. Phenomenal story. His right-hand guy is his older brother, Aaron. We think Aaron was probably three to five years older than Moses. And when Moses really had a major address to bring, it was often Aaron being Moses' voice because in all honesty, Moses couldn't speak very well. He stuttered. And so uh, while the figure and the, the, the leader is legitimately Moses, there's a guy right underneath him doing all the work in many ways. For example, uh, when they first go to Pharaoh and say, we're going to leave, it's Aaron who speaks, and it's Aaron who throws down his stick, not Moses, but it's Aaron who throws down his stick, it becomes a snake, and then he picks it up and becomes a stick again to prove that they've got God working with him. It's Aaron who holds his, that same stick out over, he says, this is an indication that there are plagues are coming, and he call, it's Aaron who calls down the first three plagues upon the Egyptians to get the people of God out of there. So he's a leader in his own right. But there's a fascinating event that takes place in Numbers chapter 20 at the end of his life. This is how it goes. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. So there's two brothers. Aaron's about to die. Get Aaron and his son Eleazar and take them up to Mount Or. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar for Aaron will be gathered to his people. He'll die there. What's he doing? He's passing responsibility for that priestly ministry from Aaron to Eleazar the son. They went up to Mount Or. Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them in Eleazar and Aaron died there on top of the mountain. We see this in our own day and time. We've seen it throughout generations where a father's vocation becomes the vocation of the children. Um, it used to be the sons these days. It could be either the son or the daughter. But you have plumbers who have plumbing in the family. I have that. One of my uncles is a plumber, and he's got plumbers and some of his sons. Um, you, we, there's a printing family in town where they've passed it from generation to generation. Uh, you see it with metal workers. That's why you have, you know, like Jones and Sons metal workers. We're used to this being passed along. And I've got really good news for you, friends. In, in the way in which... Uh, Moses arranged for the priestly responsibilities of Aaron to pass to Eleazar and to son and to son and to son. I've got news for you. That same responsibility now has been passed to you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you can do what? That the priest did. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You, that long line of responsibility is now passed on to you that you are the ones and I am the, I am the ones not based on our vocation in terms of what careers we have but we get to say this over people Numbers chapter 6 again show it to us one more time guys 
the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons and the people of First Christian Church of 2016, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. And by the way, when you do that, here's what happens. When you do that, I'll put my name on the Israelites and I'll bless them. I want you to do that this week, if you will, friends. I want you to look in your program today on the seat where you're sitting. Somewhere there, there's a bunch of cards like this. And if you don't have one, there are some in the ends of each pew in the programs. And uh, I want you to take this card and notice on the back, on the one side, it's got the love where you, where you, where, where you are symbol. And uh, on the back side, it's got the, uh, that passage of scripture. So what I want you to do this week uh, in order to help you be the priest, in order to help you be the clergy, to be the person of God in your community, I want you to take this card around your neighborhood this week. Don't give it out. But here again, springtime, lovely evenings, you could walk around and just as you're walking, pray this prayer over the houses you, fall, you pass. Now, please don't be weird about this. Don't stand at the bottom of someone's driveway and go, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be great. We don't, if, if I get calls from the police saying you've got a weird first Christian church person out here, I'm going to say, I never heard of them. Never heard of them. Okay, don't be weird. But, you know what I love? God says, go and say this over the people and then I'll put my name on them and I'll bless them. We're not cursing people. We're not putting some incantation upon them. No, what are we doing? We are praying for the people in our community. And it's, Lord, I pray for this house I'm passing right now. I pray you'd bless them, God. They may know you. They may not. That's not the point. They may honor you. They may be followers of Jesus Christ. They may be, that language again, pagans. But I pray you'd use them. And I've got some really good news for you, friends. Uh, frankly, when we decided to do this, uh, 19 other churches in the city heard about this. We were in these groups that we meet, and they asked what we were doing in May. 19 other churches in the city heard about it. They said, can we do the same thing? So there are 19, 20, including us, 20 congregations in the city walking neighborhoods right now. So here's what's going to happen to some of you this week. You're walking along. You're going to see somebody with a card like this. And you're going to be going, well, the Lord bless you. No, the Lord bless you. No, the Lord bless you. It's going to be great. Because look at the result of all of this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. Again, that weird word. I get it. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, what will they do? They will see your good deeds and glorify your God, glorify God on the day he visits us. Wouldn't that be cool? For this whole city, 20 churches doing this together, saying, we're blessing our neighborhoods. Now, we're going to work, work our way through the rest of this with these other congregations throughout the month of May. We've got some really cool things scheduled for you. But to get it started, I want you in your neighborhoods this week praying. Don't lose the card. We made 5,000 of these for our church and all the other congregations. So if you look, there's plenty of them to go around, okay? Because here's, here's, here's what I figured out about my ducks, my ducklings that are in the courtyard. I go out there every day and I look at them and um, I think some of us are like little ducklings at times, ducklings in the, in the church. Because those ducklings in the courtyard, they are fully protected. 
we take little pans of water out to them and we feed them and they're growing. But I've got this little concern. For in order for ducklings to be ducks, they have to swim and they have to fly. And we have no way to teach that to them in the courtyard. We're going to, in order for those ducks to become mature ducks, they have to get out of the courtyard of the church. Sometimes for us here in the church, it's the same thing. We are so worried about how we are, we're going to be protected and all is going to be well and all is going to be good that we get stuck in the church and fail to realize that God wants us to be out working in the community. So this week, go on out, spend some time in prayer, get out there. Don't, stay, don't keep your religion in the church, but get in, involved in other people. And you don't have to be preaching or anything like that. You're just doing what the priest did in the Old Testament. You're going out and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and turn his face towards you and give you peace. They'll love you for it, I promise you. Not to even put it on their chest or anything like that. Please don't. <laughs> but let God use you. Would you stand together and let's pray, please. Father, you've heard our our look at scripture today and our concern that we be men and women who are used by you it takes a lot of courage God it takes courage for us to do what you need us to do and so um, Lord there are people in the room here today this just freaks them out and it's so scary I get it God but we are a holy nation a royal priesthood a chosen people we have responsibilities and we're going to do all we can to live them out In the name of Jesus, amen.